Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, Kirby. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> Welcome to Los Angeles. We have a spooky episode today. We do have a little spooky episode. <laughs> it is October. And it was Kirby's idea because we all know that she loves nothing more in life than a spooky October. We need to feel some type of entertainment this month because Halloween parties canceled. Trick-or-treating canceled. So what can we do? Oh my god, I didn't even realize that. Seriously. Trick-or-treating is so canceled. 100% canceled. So <laughs> let's talk about like how can we create an ambiance? Like I love creating an ambiance. That's why there's like spooky music. Yeah, like Kirby, can you add some like, you know, spooky haunted house music? Exactly. I've got you covered. Trust me. The whole <laughs> month full of spooky surprises. I figure my Alexa right now is literally dictating everything that I'm saying. I don't know why. I did <laughs> not say hell? Alexa or Siri or whatever the hell this is. Yeah. Who are okay. you? Anyways. Great. So who's spookier than our dear friend Lexi Lepsack? <laughs> Lexi's <laughs> okay. not spooky. No, she's, I doubt that was rude of me. I was just joking. Lexi, you are not spooky. However, the things that you unearth through your investigative journalism is very fear-inducing. Agreed. So today's guest is Lexi. Lexi Lebsack is a correspondent, producer, writer, and editor. She reports on camera across culture, business, travel, and beauty topics, but is best known for her Webby Award-winning docuseries, Shady, which examines the culture, commerce, and controversy behind the multi-billion dollar beauty and wellness industries and the people it impacts around the world. Lexi was formerly at Refinery29. That's how Kirby and I met her and that's where you can find shady if you have not watched shady yet it will absolutely blow your mind lexi is just so so good at what she does and i hope well we know that she is you know going to continue to do this but we can't wait to see what other content spooky content beauty content that she creates but this was just such this is like again i say this for every episode but it's like one of my favorite episodes we've done um, it's just like so nice to talk to another beauty editor, but also get her perspective on everything that she has learned through her travels to India and, you know, Asia and all of um, where else has she gone to downtown L.A.? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's just so, so fascinating. And so we got to pick her brain a little bit about um, everything she's seen, and how that's changed her habits as a beauty consumer and then also as a beauty journalist. So. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. I agree. I think we try to break down and sift through the BS here. Lexi goes like the extra mile and she puts her career on the line with a lot of this stuff. You know, this isn't, you know, most beauty editors. I mean, she's told us some stories that our mouths are on the floor, like that could never be repeated publicly. And and 
she is really getting the juice, the tea. Mm-hmm. So when she's going into like women's prisons, she's learning how hair extensions are made and like what these women are going through and what they're getting paid. She's she's going she's talking to doctors that make claims that like I cannot believe they even make. Oh my gosh, yeah, we didn't even get to talk about that one. Oh, I know. It's wild. Absolutely oh wild. She is like your Barbara Walters of the beauty biz. Yeah, Barb's of the Butte. And I think that, you know, when we came, when we were trying to come up with content for October, we were like, what is scary? Like, let's talk about what's scary in the beauty industry. Uh, counterfeit products, people risking their lives for mica, children risking their lives children, for mica yeah. that are in a lot of your favorite highlighters. So this might not be the most uplifting episode. I just want to warn you guys, but I do think that. Everybody is going to walk away with a different perspective, having learned a lot, and are going to be more conscious consumers when they hear the episode. And it was, again, like Sarah said, one of my favorites because, you know, we don't have to, like when it comes to brand founders and stuff, obviously they're going to advocate for their brand. And with Alexi, she's like, so I'm going to tell you how it really is. (laughs) And this is how we're going to move forward. So enjoy this episode, everyone. If you love it, please go watch Shady. Follow Lexi at Lexi Lepsack on Twitter and Instagram. And then, of course, follow us on social at Los Angeles Pod and visit us on our website, www.glossangelespod.com. It's October, fam, and uh, we wanted to cover some spooky shit for the pod. Um, We're trying to think like what is scary in the beauty industry. There's actually so much to be scared of in the beauty industry, which then got us thinking of our good friend Lexi, who is here with us today as our guest. Uh, You guys heard the wonderful intro with her impressive resume uh, that we just gave her. So Lexi, welcome to Los Angeles. Thank you so much for having me. We are so thrilled to have you. We feel like it's we've been wanting to have you on for so long. But yeah, what better time than October to talk about some spooky beauty stuff? Sounds, <laughs> that's my specialty. <laughs> so we want to know what's on your face. It can be one product. It can be a few. Tell us what you're wearing. Um, I'm sort of giving you a pandemic special today <laughs> where I'm mostly just wearing tinted sunscreen. I also put a little bit of brow gel in because my eyebrows tend to point directly downward, but um, mostly you've just, got great brows. Thanks. Mostly just um, some tinted sunscreen. Uh, today I'm wearing SkinCeuticals. They're non-nano zinc mineral situation with like a nice little, they say it's a universal tint. I'm not totally sure about that, but it works really well and it kind of gives you like a dewy little glow and I've been trying really hard lately to move just into mineral physical blockers which is really hard Mm. really hard Mm -hmm. because the majority of them even though they say they're clear or they say that they soak in it's just not at all the case Um, and I don't really want to walk around with a white cast all over my body and face so lots of work to be done in that part of the industry but um, mostly just sunscreen because my also uh, my office which is just the corner of my bedroom (laughs) nowadays is right next to a window. So I've also had to kind of get good about putting sunscreen on, even though I don't leave the house most days. Spoken like a true beauty editor right here. 
Thank you. All right, Lexi. So you have quite the resume, as I just mentioned. Uh, can can you walk us through how you got started in editorial altogether, and then maybe talk about the moment that you wanted to get into beauty journalism? I went to journalism school at Cal State University Northridge in the Valley, so just north of LA. And that was after I took a couple gap years after high school because I just had no idea what I wanted to do. And I wanted to play around with a couple different industries and try a couple different things, which at the time felt really scary. But now looking back on it, taking that time to actually go into college and do something that I wanted to do and that I was passionate about um, was so important because I would have ended up dropping out or changing majors a hundred times. Um, so that was really, really important for me, even though it was a little bit scary at the time. So I went to journalism school. And then my last year I interned with Women's Wear Daily and Los Angeles Magazine. And I got my first job just by cold emailing um, the editor at the time at LA Magazine. And she brought me in and I started blogging for them and covering events and um, very quickly started writing for the magazine as well, which was so wild at the time um, and it was such a great opportunity and then I don't think that I've actually ever gotten a job just by applying to an ad outside of that one cold email um, everything is just sort of led into the next thing and that really goes to show you what a small community editorial and even journalism is where everyone knows each other and um, a lot of times when someone's looking for you know, to hire someone, the ads don't even go up. It's just like, you know, you're just reaching out. So, so one thing sort of kept leading to another, but then when I graduated, um, with a BA in journalism, I had all of these internships on my resume and then I couldn't get a job. And so I worked retail for a long time. I ended up working a truly traumatizing job for a corporate fashion company that will remain unnamed, but, um, was absolutely terrible. And then eventually I kept going in and talking to the women who were running click media. Um, so who, what, where was their main site at the time. And I kept going in and they couldn't find a place for me. And, um, I didn't know if I wanted to do fashion journalism or maybe, um, lifestyle stuff. Like I just had no idea. I was honestly just pretty desperate. And they called me one day and they said, Hey, we're launching a beauty section. Do you know a lot about beauty? And I was like, let me tell you all about beauty. Yes. Um, which I've always been into beauty. I have like that, you know, quintessential beauty editor story where I got really into beauty and skincare and coloring my hair and experimenting really young, which a lot of, a, a lot of, I mean, I don't even think it's a beauty industry thing. I think it's just like an, our generation thing where we came up just like thinking it was all so cool and experimental and fun. So I went in there as, um, an associate editor and I started writing the beauty section with um, my then boss at the time. And it was just two of us writing beauty. And then we did that for about a year and then we launched Birdie Beauty. Um, and so the whole point of us writing a beauty section for Who, What, Where was to build up content to eventually launch Birdie. Did that. Um, my boss at the time, after we launched Birdie, she went back to New York and um, you know, went and did her thing with other publications and I took over running birdie for a little while. And then I got super, super, super burnt out. Um, and I ended up leaving click media and going to work in a very experimental at the time category, uh, which is content and commerce. And I was really interested in how it worked. I didn't last very long. Um, so I went to Violet Gray 
which was just sort of starting out. And the main reason I went to Violet Gray is because I really wanted to work under Christina Hahn, who um, is this amazing editor. Now she has this really great consultancy company, but um, she had been at Vogue and The Cut, and I really respected her work, and I just wanted to go work for her. So I did that. I didn't last very long, though. Um, content and commerce was tricky, and I thought that I would have more freedom, but I actually had a lot less freedom. Yeah, just sort of a learning curve there. And then I got recruited by Refinery29, and although I didn't want to bounce from Violet Gray so quickly, that's just sort of what happened. I had to sort of take that leap, and so I got approached by Refinery and got brought in to run their Los Angeles section and start their, or open their first office, um, which was really cool and um, I was there for five and a half years and I just left in March. Crazy. Isn't it crazy when you like recall everything that you have done to get to where you are now? It's so crazy because it all seems so impossible until it's done Mm -hmm. and looking back now I'm like it's only when I kind of recount everything that I'm like oh (laughs) actually I did okay so far. Totally. Wait, Sarah, do you remember your first impression of Lexi? I mean, I think Lexi's, it's hard because I feel like you're a little intimidating. Yes. But really? But not in like, I don't think you're purposely trying to be intimidating. I think you just have like a presence. So that, I think I was a little scared to meet you. Oh my God. (laughs) I, I was definitely terrified of you. Like, like, like. I remember hearing about like the elusive Lexi and I remember like very distinctly like when you left Who What Where and Birdie and then going to Violet Gray and I'm like oh my god Lexi's running like she's doing Violet Gray now and then when you went to Refinery I was like you know I had friends at Refinery I'm like tell me everything about Lexi and then when we met you you were so chill (laughs) and like really down to earth so it made everything that we already knew about you even better because you weren't stuck up or like pretentious about it all you know oh funny I think that I so I I haven't heard that exact thing before so I'm a little taken aback but I I will say that a lot of people say that when they meet me I'm nothing like what they thought I was going to be um and I don't I don't know why that is necessarily but when you say elusive I know that and that's because I hate going to beauty events with like a deep passion oh my god can I just tell you how many publicists used to ask when I was at Bustle they would ask me for like Two years straight, they'd be like, hey, um, do you know where Lexi is? Like, can you like ask her if she wants to come to this event? I'm like, let me just tell you, she's not coming unless it's real, real good. I remember we went, was it, was it, where, it was it when we went to Kanye with Jen Atkin? Was it when, and I was talking to Lexi, it was before, you were like literally just starting Shady. Like you were trying to get that figured out. And we were in this car going to the forum and someone was like emailing me like they saw that you were on my Instagram story or something. And I got a publicist email that night going, hey, I saw you were with Lexi. Any chance you could forward her this email? I'm trying to get in touch with her. Like there have been moments, but you told us in the car, you were like, I have like 20,000 unread emails or something. Like you just don't read your emails. Like you see what you need, right? Isn't that what you do? You have, I mean, it's hard, especially, I mean, now that this is probably like, you're really enjoying quarantine, not having to go to any events. Kirby just called me out. I freaking love it though. I love this about Okay, you. so yes, I am enjoying that there are no events in, in quarantine. But honestly, I think I just 
a few years where I just kind of gave myself permission not to go to anything because the risk or not the risk, I was going to say risk versus reward, but like the juice isn't worth the squeeze most of the time. It's like, I'd be sitting there at this lunch and looking around and I'm like, what are we doing here? Like we all have so much work to do. There's so much to be done. There's so much that I want to accomplish. And I'm sitting here at a lunch, just like, what are we doing? Kirby and I used to talk about all the time where we'd we'd be like, what is the, what is the point here? We're not even learning. Like, I can't tell you what product is launching. Like, I know nothing about the product. It's just like an Instagrammable, uh, you know, moment or whatever, which, yeah, I mean, I'll be curious to see how that all changes when we're all allowed to go to events again. I miss them. (laughs) Totally. And by the way, everything we bring up about you, it's because we like love it. It's like, I'm, I'm in admiration. Envious. Like, yes. Like, Lexi's the epitome of cool girl, in my opinion, but like a nice cool girl. Oh, my gosh. One of the main reasons we wanted to have you on, besides being a good friend of the pod, obviously, is because of your incredible series, Shady, which you kind of touched on. Shady examines the culture, commerce, and controversy behind the multi-billion dollar beauty and wellness industries, aka the spooky side of beauty. So... Lexi, we want to know, how did you come up with Shady exactly? Oh, um, it was actually a really organic process where, to be honest, we wouldn't have named it Shady if we thought we were going to do more than one episode because it became increasingly challenging to get people to come on as guests. Be like, oh, yeah, you want to come on my, my show? It's called Shady. And people are like, no, I, no, I don't want to do that. It was really organic. Basically, a friend of mine sent me a photo that he took in downtown Los Angeles of a card table right ahead of Christmas, maybe two years ago. And it was just covered in counterfeit beauty products. So Kylie lip kits and uh, naked palettes and all of the like hot things that people were discussing online and on social media. And they were all counterfeit. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, how is this possible? It was the first time I had seen something like that, like actually infiltrate the city that I, that I live in. And so we started investigating it and looking into sort of where the products were coming. And then it happened very organically because at the time I was running the Los Angeles section of R29 and they had just hired um, a producer to do video content. And I was her only talent. <laughs> I guess it was a very small office. And so her name's Lauren Turp and she ended up being my executive producer, um, for the show. And she's still at refinery slash vice media group. And, um, we just kind of went out and shot it. Like she's also a shooter from back in the day. So, um, she got a camera and we mic'd me up and we went downtown and we just kind of started asking questions. And then I piggybacked onto a trip that she had to New York for our company party um, that I wasn't like budgeted to go to, but I got a flight and I stayed in her hotel room and we just went out and shot it. And it sort of one thing led to another and the story ended up getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it sat there after we shot it um, in the office on a hard drive for eight months before it got edited because there just weren't, wasn't the resources to do it. And then eventually we edited it, we put it up and it was sort of peak Facebook video time. And so it went viral. We got like 20 million views on it. And that was what it took to kind of um, get uh, an entire season greenlit. And then, yeah. And then we just sort of 
kept going. Were you the one who inspired Kylie to go downtown? Remember that episode? I on- do remember that episode. Um, I don't know what's going on in her uh, in her atmosphere, but maybe I think that because I feel like it came. I mean, well, it definitely came after, but yeah, it was. It I was feel like, like you right alerted around, someone. Yeah, it was right around that time. Um, I mean, we definitely reached out to Kylie's camp and asked for comment around all of the counterfeiting um, that was happening, but. I think a lot of journalists tend to get like a little irritated when people pick up or copy or um, kind of like run with stories that they've done. But like, I don't feel like that at all. I think even some of the bigger stories that we've done in Shady um, aren't things that we broke necessarily. There's things that were inspired by like investigations in, um, you know, hard news outlets that uh, we kind of like saw beauty mentioned it and they were like, oh, well, how, you know, how big is this? And then we kind of like spider webbed off from there. Um, but I, I hope that we've inspired a lot of people. Well, you definitely inspired me. I mean, I don't think I've ever told you this, but that series is truly like peak journalism, like beauty journalism to me. Thank you. I got hired at Pop Sugar to be an on-camera host and reporter. I would have died to make a series like that. And really like you guys were the ones that took charge and actually did it. I remember when you launched it, I obviously was so happy for you, but like incredibly envious because it's like, this is the stuff that more people should be doing. But you know, all of us have worked at the top three digital publishers and you know that digital video content relies on advertisers and money and i remember when it came out i was like this is incredible i mean you won a webby award by the way she's won an award for this series like like she's award winning and congrats thank you when i would talk to you about like how are you funding this like how's this working how are you getting anyone on like you said yeah truly you went across the world to get these stories you guys it was like you and your ep like going and reporting like it it felt so much bigger than just a beauty series that a lot of people because you know people love to dumb down beauty they love to think beauty is like the superficial dumb thing and it's really not if you guys haven't watched any of the the series start with the kylie cosmetics like the counterfeit makeup um that was the first episode that kicked things off lexi what was the next episode was it prison makeup? The next episode I feel like was an invest was maybe our second most watched one, which was an investigation into where hair extensions come from, which uh, oh, that was a really really good one thank too. Thank you. That one has been really popular online and has spurred uh, a lot of uh, a lot of feedback from from viewers. Just to sort of throw out and piggyback on what you said, Kirby, where it's like this is really hard work and I'm so flattered that you were jealous. <laughs> I was. <laughs> but um, it's it's tough because this kind of work I think is what a lot of people wanna be doing and a lot of us who went to journalism school are certainly more than qualified to do it, but it is, it's a funding issue um, and it's an advertising issue and we went up against a lot of um, really challenging things when I was still at Refinery to try to get this continually funded because it is exactly what you said, where advertisers don't like this and they don't necessarily want to be associated with something like this that calls out um, a lot of the issues within the beauty industry. But I'll tell you this, Mus, but that would never have, if I had pitched that at Bustle, would not have flown. I think it was the perfect storm because at Refinery at the time, they were looking to expand their subscribers on YouTube. So it's like, you have to think about the KPI of like, what what does this project bring to the table against your goals? And so at the time, 
our founders were trying to get more into video content. There was even an idea early on of um, Channel 29, which didn't end up happening, um, or I guess maybe like an iteration of it has, you know, continued to grow. But they wanted to, our founders wanted to move into, into like, you know, lots of video stuff. We were able to props to, you know, to Refinery for, um, for really funding a lot of this because it's, it's really expensive work. And also I have to just call out the Wozniak to my jobs, which is um, Iris Shu, who's a producer that was at Vice Media Group forever and really talented. And she, while she's not on camera with me, she's kind of like been my right hand person through the majority of this series as well. So it's definitely been a big group effort. Do you know who you remind me of? Or or this conversation reminds me of, of uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Okay. When Andy's trying to pitch to her editor and she really wants to like report on hard news and her boss is like, mm, you know what? What about what I can't even remember what like, but she, you know, she's like, why don't you date this guy and try to lose him in 10 days instead? Okay. And then you can write about whatever you want. That's an amazing reference. But when I think about that, I think about that. That's so funny that we're talking about this, but that pitch meeting early in the meeting where there's another reporter and she's like, so here's what I have coming up this next month. Killer pedicures. Yes. But beat. Yes. Um, you know, like flesh eating diseases, but upbeat. And that's always how I do pitch meetings where I'm like, okay, we're going to be talking about child labor tied to highlighter, but upbeat. <laughs> Cause you try to get people to get behind your projects, but exactly. Oh my God. It's like, it always has to be inspirational and aspirational. Like yes. literally I just, the pitch meetings, dear God, the pitch meetings. I don't want to leave the counterfeit products just yet. What I love about that particular video is there is so much conversation around it. Initially, I remember seeing it and being like, this is wrong that they're selling counterfeit product, especially with all the research that Lexi did as to where these products are coming from, if they're even safe. Then I saw it posted in a very popular Facebook beauty group, uh, Beauty and Style Friendship Club, which has since like imploded on itself because it was a nightmare anyways, a whole other story. But I can't with Facebook. Except our Facebook group, which I will say is actually like the tits. But people started commenting and I was actually kind of surprised at the time because what was, this was like 2018, 2017, when was this? I think it was 2018, maybe two years ago. People were like, at the end of the day, this is, you know, a byproduct of systemic racism. So I'm curious, you know, with the feedback that you got as a host and producer and reporter of this show, like what were your thoughts when you initially launched and then how did it, did it evolve at all or did it change the way you felt? That's actually so funny that you bring that up because I haven't thought about that in years, but um, I got a lot of messages after that episode came out and um, I was getting harassed by a lot of people online um, and they were calling the office and threatening and doing all kinds of like kind of scary things. But um, I think that we learned from that up. So to set up sort of why people were, why people were doing that is because I think that they, there was this impression that when we went on to, in the episode, if you haven't seen it, um, I go on a ride along with a private investigator who's working for Estee Lauder companies and they're trying to crack down on counterfeiting that's happening with Matt Cosmetics, which is one of the largest, um, most, or sorry, most counterfeit products um, on the market just because it's so well known and there's um, such like a great brand identity there across the globe. But basically I was going on a ride along for them trying to bust this person who was selling um, counterfeit products on the street. And I think that there was a confusion happening with viewers that I'll take responsibility for because that means that we didn't explain what we were doing well enough. But that 
bust was happening with or without us. Like we were going on that bus to try to explain what happens like through the supply chain of counterfeit products, how they, you know, they're made in mostly in a certain part of China. Um, and then they get smuggled in and then they end up on card tables and they get sold by people who don't have a whole lot of options to generate money for their family. And then they're purchased by people who are trying to save money and um, potentially make people very sick. So that's sort of like the lifespan that we wanted to follow. But we were that bus was happening uh, with or without us. And a lot of people um, thought and got very angry with me about us being part of this guy who um, was trying to feed his family, you know, which I totally understand that. It's tough because I get both sides of it. Um, and at the end of the day, I think that what we learned is that we need to be better about making it super clear that what we're like, we're sort of like, uh, we're watching what's happening. We're a bystander, but we're not necessarily like, they didn't do this bust because we were there. Um, this was happening with or without us, but it was not without controversy for sure. And it definitely, I think it changed how we thought about the show. Yeah. Okay. So you, obviously that was a very big uh, learning experience that episode and then we want to know, like, can you just talk about the process of crafting these episodes going forward? I mean, there is so much work and research that has to be done. And like you said, you're not the only one who's working on this. Can you tell us what goes into it? And then maybe like what you found to be most revealing about these episodes? Like, I want to I want to chime in because I, I would specifically love to know about Instagram face, which I that I remember when that came out I was like holy shit she's doing it and then <laughs> when uh like the prison beauty I thought yes. I remember uh, specifically you telling me that you had to go get your ears re-pierced because they removed all of your piercings is that why we all went to get piercings together yes yeah I think that along with the fact that I'm not that great at taking care of my many piercings like this one right now is like all messed up but um oh no <laughs> Anyway, shout uh, out to Body Electric. Shout out to Brian Keith Thompson with all of his piercing um, amazingness. So what would normally happen would, because I was basically the only member on the Shady team that had a background in beauty and was an active beauty reporter. So I would normally come up with some topics and um, put together like a pretty classic journalist pitch around like who we would talk to, where we would go, um, and sort of like what we would try to accomplish around it. Um, and then I would work with my producer, Iris, and we would try to flesh out um, a lot of the details. And this is like a multi-day process. And then they would go back to the team and um, we would see if we had the budget for them and to see sort of like where we, um, where we, where everyone's opinions were on it. And then once we narrowed down the pitches, oh, and then in terms of like finding ideas, um, that is kind of just all over the place. Like we did an episode um, around homeless women. Um, sorry, we did an episode around women who are experiencing homelessness and their access to uh, beauty products. And that really just came from the fact that I would be driving home from work and there would just be encampments everywhere. And it's like, how can we figure out a way to talk about a topic like people experiencing homelessness, which is really hard to talk about and um, not the kind of stuff that people want to consume on a day-to-day -day basis because it is really sad and really complicated. And how can we figure out a way to get young women who are, you know, I mean, obviously everyone um, across the spectrum can be interested in a show like Shady, but a lot of young women are watching it. 
Um, but how can we sort of get that topic to apply to something that they're interested in, which is beauty. So I would always sort of um, take big news type topics and try to craft them into, into beauty. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. Um, but I always sort of talk about Shady and the video work that I'm doing and starting to develop now is a bit like a Trojan horse for the beauty industry where you think it's about the beauty industry and then you get a little deeper and it's really about something else because the beauty industry is so large and covers so many different parts of the world that you really can kind of frame anything around the beauty industry because it's so large. Um, and then the prison story, I wish I could take credit for coming up with that idea, but that was actually uh, my producer Iris's like baby, um, where she really wanted to go into women's prisons as well as my EP Lauren. Um, she had uh, done a show around prisons for, uh, for, I wanna say for, I, I'm not sure what network, she did that back in the day. Um, and so she was really familiar with going into prisons and that one, um, they basically kind of like held the reins on that one and got us into the prisons that we went to. Um, and that one was also not really about beauty, but we sort of framed it around beauty in terms of access. Um, uh, women who are smuggling with uh, smuggling beauty products in um, through guards who are manipulating them and uh, a lot of really bad stuff that's happening in there. But we wanted to, again, like talk about prison because the amount of women who are going into prisons in our country is just exploding. It's wild, the numbers that you can like very easily Google um, to see all of these women who are in prison. And all of the women that I met in prison would be in there for like, there's this one woman who I'm sure it was her third strike. And so it's more complicated than I'm you know, saying, but basically she's like, oh, I was in, you know, I'm in jail for like having a, a joint in the state of Florida. And it's like, what? Like, that's insane. It's like our, our prison system is so corrupt and it's, yeah, anyway, so but, and it's nice through what's happening right now in the Black Lives Matter movement where so much of this stuff is coming to light and becoming, um, you know, more more well-known. And I'm certainly not the kind of person who knows everything about everything. A lot of this stuff, and I think one of the reasons why I was successful in this particular project is because I really did feel like a proxy for the viewer. Like I was also learning a lot of this stuff with the viewer. So it's like, I'm a beauty editor. I'm not an expert on people who are experiencing homelessness or women in prison. Like, I, I don't know, but if I can figure out a way to make it interesting to a beauty viewer, then why not? Is there a topic that you wanted to explore in an episode that just didn't quite make it for whatever reason? Maybe it wasn't approved or just- Oh yeah. Lots of topics, lots of stuff got killed, lots of stuff. Um, I will say, <laughs> I will say that the beauty industry has a really, really nasty pollution problem. And that's a topic that I did dive into and I wanted to further dive into and it did not, it did not go well. And a lot of, um, a lot of the corporations that are making a lot of the beauty products don't necessarily want something like this talked about. Yeah, the beauty industry is just pumping so much plastic and so many chemicals into the environment. And it's like, I always equate it to like an oil spill where it's like, if a, you know, a petrochemical company or an oil company or a, you know, toxic waste company is dumping stuff into the natural environment, like they have to clean that up. So it's like, how is the beauty industry or any consumer goods industry, honestly, able to pump so much stuff into our, 
world and then not take responsibility for, you know, its end of life. Out of all the episodes that, you know, you finalized, which one do you think is maybe the most problematic in terms of content or maybe the most scary uh, for beauty consumers? Um, I think that the my favorite episode and the one that was kind of like my baby that I was pushing so hard to get done um, was our episode that won the Webby Award, which is our episode on mica. When I first learned about where the majority of mica was coming from, I feel like I was never the same after that. Like I just couldn't unlearn that. And so we shot some of the footage from that episode actually during our first season, but then we couldn't get our visas to go to India because the government wouldn't approve them. And there were like just a lot of issues. And so we held on to a lot of that footage and then it made it into the second season. So I pushed and pushed and pushed to get that episode made. If someone hasn't seen the series, um, mica is basically a mineral that is naturally occurring. And so it can be easily described as natural and clean, but it's basically the really fine, delicate, um, very nice shimmer that goes into makeup products as well as countless other consumer goods and industries. So it goes into car paint, it goes into insulation, it goes into all kinds of stuff. Um, And it's very problematic because the supply chain is very deeply linked to two states in India, Jharkhand and Bihar, that produce at the time of our investigation, 60% of the cosmetic grade mica are coming from this region and 70% of the mines in that region are um, illegal mines. And so they are just rampant with children working in the mines. It's like was so heartbreaking to watch that episode and you interview these small children who they're just working. Like they don't know any better. Yeah. Like risking their lives. Definitely check out, uh, Lexi, we're going to link Um, you know, all the episodes and stuff so people can go and binge watch. I have a feeling that will be happening. So thanks in part to the investigative journalism uh, that you're doing, consumers have access to a wealth of information and they are better able to educate themselves about the beauty industry. But like you have said, there is so much we still don't know or consumers don't know. What do you think brands need to be more transparent about? I think that brands need to be more transparent about their oh gosh (laughs) a lot a lot of stuff and the thing is is that i feel like a lot of brands because when you as a consumer once you understand how supply chains work for consumer goods like beauty products you realize that sometimes the brands don't even know what's in their products and because the supply chain is changes so many times and there are you know companies that source the raw ingredients and then there are companies that broker the deals with manufacturers and then there are manufacturers who are bringing in raw materials from all over the world and they don't have serial numbers they're raw materials and then there are um manufacturers that create a lot of the lines and then there are companies that buy from the manufacturers and slap an influencer's name on it or you know maybe just blank label for a big brand Um, and so brands have to not only do better about understanding where their ingredients are coming from but also they're then like telling their story of where they came from So the mica issue, and I think why that episode resonated so much is because people, um, many people 
and we certainly didn't break this story. This came from a, you know, this tip off came from a really amazing investigation in Reuters in 2016 that I read. And I was like, oh my gosh, like we have to make this a video. Like, how is this possible? And those reporters spent months on the ground trying to, you know, crack this code. So we really are standing on like the, the shoulders of these really amazing journalists um, at Reuters. But basically like that mica story you could just use that format for so many different ingredients in the beauty industry right now so that's palm oil shea butter charcoal vanilla chocolate coffee talc like this is a, this is a universal thing where our supply chains are incredibly fragmented and um it just breeds not only environmental issues and labor issues with who's you know involved in the supply chain who's working in the supply chain but also it also goes on to product safety issues where it's like we see the talc issue johnson and johnson countless lawsuits and if you go through the setting powders on many main retailers you'll see that there's talc in all of those products and talc is one of those things where it's like mica where it's not inherently bad by any means the issue with talc is that there's contamination from asbestos which is mined in the same region so it's like, it's just complicated. As I mentioned though, the, we all know this, the beauty industry is oversaturated, it's overwhelming. I feel lucky that I am a part of this industry because at least I can weed out what I think is like complete bullshit and you know, kind of move forward with my own you know, thought process on who I wanna dedicate my money to, who I wanna support, things like that. But as a consumer trying to sift through this, what is your recommendation to someone that's like, how am I supposed to be a conscious consumer and still get products that work and then also buy products that kill me? Like my biggest my biggest uh, issue right now with the beauty industry is the word non-toxic. Like how can we be more conscious consumers? This is the question that I knew I was going to get and I've been dreading because it's also the question that I get most on social media. I get DMs constantly from people who have seen Shady and they are shook and they want me to tell them what to buy now. Um, and I really, really grapple with my guilt around this because I don't have any answers and it sucks. And it makes me feel like I'm not doing my job, but I just don't have the answers. Um, and so it's like, I have in my own beauty routine, I've sort of just scaled back a lot. So I, I think about how products are subsidized in the developing world. And I think about how we can't throw, we can't recycle the majority of the plastic and we can't recycle mixed materials. And so I think that the main thing of how I've changed is that I, I no longer think about any of this as disposable. I think of it all as like it had someone who dug it out of the ground and it's going to have to live on our planet for 500 years. And so I just am more precious with what I have. Um, I wish I had the answer, but I, I think that like in my work, I hope to continue to be one of the many reporters who are, who are talking about this. Um, but I hope to be one of the, one of the journalists who are inspiring great minds to come up with better solutions and, inspiring consumers to be like, Hey, this doesn't feel right. So I'm going to go on Instagram or I'm going to go on Twitter and I'm going to at the brand and I'm going to ask questions and I'm going to continue to talk about this. And I'm going to continue to do as much reading as I can, because 
And the beauty industry at its core is oppressive and kind of corrupt. So only when consumers demand transparency will things actually start to happen. And I believe that with every fiber of my being. I always joke that I grew up in the church of consumerism where we on Sunday like got dressed up and went to the mall. So it's like consumers are so powerful. And if enough people start asking the right questions to brands and demanding answers, the brands will have no other choice but to have better practices implemented. I mean, to get asked I'm, uh, on social media all the time, like, of course, you're going to feel guilty, but like you have done them such a huge favor. And now they're actually, you know, asking these questions. And, you know, when they're shopping for makeup are actually looking at the ingredients and Googling, you know, where these products are coming from. So I don't think you should feel bad about that at all. Thank you. And then in terms of what Kirby just said about non-toxic stuff, I'm right there with you. I think greenwashing is like one of the most annoying things that's happening in the beauty industry right now. And I'm not sitting here on a high horse saying that you shouldn't wear makeup and you shouldn't color your hair. And I think the reason why I've been successful is because I am a true beauty consumer. Like I like makeup. I, until the pandemic, I always had my nails done, but it's like, I, I like coloring my hair. I I'm into it. I'm into all of that. And I want to just be able to make the decisions for myself. So it's like, if you want to use something that's a potential carcinogen, if you want to use something that, um, you know, could be problematic down the road, like do whatever you want. Like, but you should, as a consumer, be able to make those decisions for yourself. So obviously you're a huge beauty lover and you, you've always been, but now you know too much. You know, <laughs> you know so how do you reconcile that and like, how, I, you talked a little bit about, you know, how it's changed your habits, but like, how, how has this changed you? Like, can you still be a beauty lover? I have a very complicated relationship with beauty. And it's because exactly what you're saying, where it's like, I, I now it's like, I, I do know too much and I can't unsee this stuff. Um, it's something I still kind of go back and forth about. Like, I, I still like wearing makeup. I'm still super into it. Um, but I think it's, it's really funny because I think about this all the time. And I actually think that of all the reporting I've done has impacted me this much. And then the pandemic has impacted me way more. And I think it's because in terms of like how many products I use and stuff, because I had already scaled back when I um, started learning about all of this stuff. But now in the pandemic, I've really realized that I need a lot less stuff than I thought that I did. And so right now, because I was a beauty editor for so long and I'm still you know, a beauty reporter, I'm sort of just eating through the stuff that I've accumulated and buying myself some time <laughs> to like how I'm going to move forward. And I don't know, but it's tough because it's like in one part of my brain, I'm like, these are evil industries. But then at the same time, I try to be very, very, very careful in my reporting um, as to not shame anyone who is specifically women, not shame women who are doing something to fit into a society and a culture that they didn't choose. So it's like, it's not, I'm no, I would never judge someone for wearing their hair a certain way or subscribing to certain beauty ideals or anything like that, because it's like, well, they still have to operate in our society and they still have to 
strive for their goals and feed their families and all of this stuff. So it's like, and then you also think about the other side of the beauty industry where like we did an episode on North Korea and access to beauty products and these amazing North Korean um, women who were smuggling in beauty products. They had basically learned how to smuggle from their parents who were smuggling in raw materials like um, iron and grains. And they learned how to do it and they started smuggling in beauty products from China. And you, I, you kind of see the same thing in the prison episode that we did where you realize how empowering it can be to have a creative outlet, to have these things. Um, and so it's just something I still sort of go back and forth with. Sarah and I, especially because of coronavirus, have talked a lot about the need for beauty and what it plays, you know, what role it plays in our lives. This is clearly a beauty focused podcast, uh, podcast. We talk a lot about beauty recommendations. We have brand founders on that we, uh, you know, support and care about, but you know, we're human beings as well. And we've all taken a step back from our beauty routines. Um, and we, we wanted to make it really clear at the beginning, you know, of launching this podcast that just because we talk about a new product every week, doesn't mean you should run out and go get it. We're really here to help the listeners figure out, is this worth getting once my moisturizer I already have has run out? Like, you know, does this hit all these tent poles for me that it's sustainable, it's it's made without whatever ingredients you don't want it to be made with, things like that. So I think you your sentiments are mimicked by us exactly, like we feel the exact same way for sure. You're educating people on on these huge issues as they surround beauty and that's like a great gift to give somebody watching because then they do have the power and the education to make decisions on their own you know the power of three thoughts so thank you i've also but that's not to say that i haven't changed like certain things in my routine like one big one of note is like sunscreen like, which I talked about really at the top of the episode where it's like, I'm trying really hard not to use chemical sunscreens, but it's hard. It's really hard. Um, cause it's hard to find good ones. And also there's like the, there's a total barrier with price. Um, but yeah, like, so chemical sunscreens, um, a lot of chemicals in, uh, like regular consumer products I've been trying to avoid. Um, I now think a lot, a lot, a lot about plastic packaging and exterior packaging. Um, I get really angry when a product is wrapped in like six layers of plastic and it's like, but why? Before we let you go, I want to ask you a question about the unpredictable chemical popping up in our beauty products. Yes. Uh, I loved this and I was hoping you could kind of talk to our listeners about this because it's super interesting. Yeah. So um, you're talking about a story that I just wrote for Rose Inc., which is now that I'm a freelancer, one of the sites that I'm contributing and working with. Um, and basically it's a story about one, four dioxane, which is kind of a tongue twister, but it's like written like one comma four and then dioxane. Um, and it's, I think the bit of an antithesis about, uh, an issue that's happening also like with talc, for example, where there's this contamination in a beauty product of a chemical or, um, you know, something that's problematic that isn't on the ingredient label. So we talked a little bit about how talc isn't inherently bad, but it is um, often contaminated with asbestos, which we know is very bad. Well, 
1,4-dioxane is a bit of the same thing where you would never see on an ingredient label, it's actually a chemical byproduct that happens during a certain process where they, um, a consumer, or a consumer, sorry, a uh, manufacturer will add a chemical to make the other chemicals less harsh, and then there will be a little chemical reaction in the bottle or during the process that um, basically like contaminates it with 1,4-dioxane. And so 1,4-dioxane is something that you'll find in like paint stripper and antifreeze for aircrafts and stuff like that and beauty products, which is a funny thing that happens because a lot of ingredients are like that where it's like, oh, where will you find this ingredient? Oh, toxic chemicals, um, antifreeze and beauty products. Like it's, it's so funny how the process of making beauty products is, um, kind of lumped in with all of these weird industrial things. But, um, yeah, so there's a, I, I would just pronounce all of the names of the chemicals wrong, but someone can very easily Google and kind of see what the chemical or what the, um, ingredients are in a label that will, that are a bit of a tell for one four dioxane contamination. And the, jury is still out on whether or not small amounts of 1,4-dioxane are actually dangerous or not. But that's sort of the argument that like parabens and all of that and PFAS got for a long time, which is like, well, you know, it's like very limited, very small exposure. But the thing is with the beauty industry that I always just keep going back to is that the markups when companies are selling products are astronomical and the testing to see if there's asbestos in your talc or see if there's 1,4-dioxane in your sudsy materials is expensive, but I think that the companies should have to test for it. Um, because again, it's like, if I want to expose myself to something, which I do because I'm a normal consumer and I make those decisions every day, um, I'm not a perfect person by any means. So it's like, if I want to expose myself to that stuff, then I will, but I need to know, I need to make that decision. Incredible. Love it. Freaking love it. Thank you, Lexi. That was, I mean, we could keep talking about so many things. We're going to have to have you on again. Thank you. This was so nice. I feel like I'm at an event, which is one of the main reasons I actually <laughs> would go to them to see you both and catch up. And so I didn't even have to go to an event. I just get to see you on Zoom. We admire you. We think you're so great at what you do. Um, and like a true uh, crusader for information. You know, I, I love that you empower people to really like learn about this industry and what really goes into it. So thank you so much for doing your job so well. Thank you for coming on Gloss Angeles. Where can people find you, Lexi? Um, you can find me on Instagram. Lexi Lebsack um, or Twitter. Those I think are like the main ones. I hope more like little girls and boys or whoever little people want to pursue uh, editorial and beauty journalism are like reading your pieces and watching um, Shady and stuff because I feel like if I would if I were young and, and saw what you were doing I'd be super inspired so oh thank you it was so nice coming on you guys are the best thank you Glam Julianos for listening to today's episode if you want more Los Angeles please find us at glossangelespod.com you can search all of our episodes there or find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify follow us on Spotify subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts and then find us on social we're at Los Angeles Pod on Twitter and Instagram and join our Facebook group we will talk to you next Tuesday bye
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 